0: Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry.
1: And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents raising confident Korean American children.
0: Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful.
1: Thanks again for tuning in and here now is this week's episode.
0: Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast. My name is Jerry. I'm one of your co-hosts of the show, and we are joined by my co-host, Jang Cho. And today, and on every first Thursday of every month, we're going to bring you a unique and special episode where my co-host, Dr. Jang Cho, actually jumps in the guest chair, and I will be asking her questions that we get from you, our listener and our uh, audience, questions that you want to ask Uh, Dr. Cho, who is a child psychiatrist and has great expertise and experience answering and helping parents, children, um, and and patients all across the spectrum, things that you might have wondered about your experience as a parent or as a child or both. And so going to be asking her some questions. Um, We do have some excellent questions that we've already received from our friends and from the community. Um, if you want to ask a question for the next episode, um, as you're listening to this, we encourage you to check out the website at com or find us across social media, and the links to the question form will be posted there. Um, hey, Jang, welcome to your show. Hi.
1: Hi. Thank you for welcoming me to my show.
0: <laughs> welcome to our show. Welcome to your show. I, I'm really, really excited to do these episodes because um, I think the real value uh, one of the big key values that our audience is going to get from the Korean American Parenting Podcast is your expertise, your professional experience, and the things that you can share um, about, you know, about parenting in general. So really excited um, to to ask you these questions today.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think this is a great um, opportunity for me as well to kind of look back. Um, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that there's a lot of questions about not just parenting or raising a child, but as Korean American parents, uh, I myself also have a lot of different questions that not all Americans have. And uh, this will be a time to talk about um, what those questions are, but also kind of dealing with how to help us um, together um, and hopefully unload some of the burdens that we have as Korean Americans and a Korean American parent.
0: Excellent. Before we get started, got to read you this disclaimer. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Jang Cho. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. They are for informational purposes only, and in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content, establish a doctor patient relationship. Because each patient and person is so unique please consult with your healthcare professional for any medical questions. So again, uh, we want to be as helpful as we can, but do not take our conversation or anything away from our social media and our community as medical advice. And if you do want additional professional help, uh, please seek your medical professional's guidance or reach out to Dr. Cho privately um, through the links that will be provided in the show notes. So we're living in... 2020 and I think it's been a fantastic year and I say that um, with a little bit of snark when it comes to family dynamics because as far as our immediate nuclear family is concerned we've been quarantined at home and so of course there's been a lot of uh, new lessons learned or new stresses or uh, new experiences that we've all sort of experienced with being at home Uh, being at home with our spouses and, you know, teaching and raising our kids. Um, And and so in regards to that, you know, there's always been uh, sort of this pressure from our parents uh, if they live within driving distance, the expectation that we see them and that we bring the grandkids to them on a regular basis, uh, which for many families and many couples um, is probably one of the more contentious topics um, that get between. Um, I can say for our family, too, uh, my parents are about 45 minutes away. Uh, My wife's parents are in a different state, so we don't get to see them as much. Um, But uh, this has brought up some new interesting concerns and dynamics as it relates to that. And so the first question that we have um, is on the topic of setting boundaries. And it comes from Kate, who is a listener of ours. And so share with us some ideas, Dr. Cho, on how to properly set boundaries with grandparents, um, especially if we, those of us who are extremely concerned about the, uh, the health and, you know, just the impacts of COVID as we, uh, you know, unfortunately can't see them as often as we'd like to.
1: Okay, so that's a lot in the first question. Um, but I think this uh, boundary issue uh, comes up a lot in um Not just Korean Americans, but Asian Americans in general, um, because the boundaries, uh, the concept of boundaries is very different in Asia and in America. And for those of us who have one foot in one culture and the other, um, have a very hard time navigating that. Um, And I think the actual um, question she asked is about, you know, um, how do we teach boundaries for our children when, when I myself uh, really struggle with the boundaries um, with everyone? And one of the things that I talk about is, um, well, there are many different boundaries uh, that you need to set in your life. Um, number one is with your own family, especially parents, like Jerry talked about is, um, in the context of COVID, and it's become an even bigger issue. Um, And then um, the boundaries in uh, in regards to relationship outside of the family, and then, of course, the boundaries at workspace. Um, There's a lot of layers to this, but within the family, um, especially for an immigrant family, if you are either born into an immigrant family or if you have immigrated as a young child, um, the relationship that you have with your uh, parents um, have a very different feel, um, some at some point in your life you were the navigator of the family even when you were a young child you could you could have been the leader as a someone who speaks English even when even when you're ten years old 11 year old and you take on that role that might not have been um, for that ten 11 12 year old and so the boundaries can uh, really push and pull in those family members you know, dynamics and And it's not wrong per se, because that's what really worked for your family at the time. And uh, really that's what um, moved your family into the success. And um, and you as a child um, being that leader of the family might have given you some strength as well as an adult. Um, What happens is that when you go into your adulthood and your parenthood, um, that need um, to be the leader for your parents have really pushed away or um, and you are in that put in a different position so your boundaries also have to change but when you're set in such a way for 30 40 50 years um, that dynamic is really hard to bust um, and so that becomes a big problem um, so in terms of um, well, number one, to answer your question, Jerry, to t- talk about boundaries with your parents, especially in the context of COVID. Um, your nuclear family becomes a very important position. You should be your priority. Your children should be priority. Um, and uh, yes, you should really um, ask your parents elderly parents to understand where you're coming from. Um, And I do have some resources about uh, COVID-19 health in Korean that are um, done by other counties, um, done by other uh, big organizations that could be uh, helpful for the parents. But also, um, at the end of the day, sometimes you will struggle, and you have to put your foot down. And it's really hard as an Asian American adult child <laughs> to put that boundaries on but um i think looking at your own important health issues look at the bigger picture and say well mom and dad this is what i'm going to do you are you are the protector of your children and your family and sometimes you do have to do things that people don't like to hear about um as a doctor i do sometimes recommend treatments that my patients don't like um but there are Ethical reasons that you have to do that, and so that's important. Um, the second portion, I think, is um, teaching about teaching the boundaries to children. Um, I think that's that's a you know difficult position when you don't understand the boundaries very well I've, uh, yourself. Um, so you do have to think about how um, these you setting the limits have really uh, affected your feelings. So when you do something for your parents or even for your coworkers, and um, and this, I think this really fits into the model minority stereotype as well, because you're supposed to say yes and do all the work and not complain. And you know, you're supposed to have the perfect work ethic. Um, when you do say yes to something and it makes you feel irritable, maybe it's not something that you should say yes to. So having that thought uh, and kind of revisiting those things, you can build on your new boundaries.
0: And this might be, um, for, first of all, um, thank you for providing that context. I think especially when it comes to um, now we're on, geez, like month six of, of COVID concerns. I know that um, grandparents, uh, their patients either is or has run out in terms of, I want to see my grandkids, what is the big deal? Of course, um, you know, a lot is very conditional on where they are, where you are physically, um, the local and state guidelines, or even just, um, what they hear from their church friends and the Korean media might, um, alter or change or impact their viewpoint on what is safe to do and what is not safe to do. Um, and I'll echo those same statements. Um, physical safety above all. Um, my parents live 45 minutes away. And I think since this whole thing started, we've seen them three times. Um, you know, and the first one, it took like three months for us to be comfortable. Um, you know, my wife, too, is a healthcare professional. My dad's health is not the best. And so, you know, I think um, he gets it. Um, you know, he is a physician himself, so I think he gets it, but it's the classic debate of logic versus emotion, especially when um, he can't see his grandkids as often as he used to, which pre-pandemic was, you know, twice a month. Um, but I will say, um, not having to schedule grandparents' visits as a part of our regular repertoire <laughs> has been great. Um, has been great.
1: Uh, I, I think... I think there's definitely, um, you know, (laughs) there's that dynamic going on there. Um, I I do have to say it's what you really need to do in in this context is for you and your spouse, significant other to uh, have a conversation and come up with the thing, um, the safety rules that you both are comfortable with first. So setting the rules first, right, for your family and then um, and then. Um, letting other people uh, to know that this is what we're willing to do. And um, what are you, uh, are you able to abide by my rules, right? So it may, that safety rule can maybe that some people extend it to grandparents and they come and visit all the time, or it could be that you meet only outside with the masks on, or for some, it would be nothing only on facetime right so but no matter what it is there is a uh, risk and benefit um it's more um, that you do have to be on the same page with your spouse um and uh stick with it
0: 100 percent agreed um next question comes from my friend punam uh who also has a uh, she's a parent herself of now uh older children, college age children. And she actually also has her own podcast called EDU Me uh, based on her experiences as a parent and an educator. Um, She has a general question on how do you, what are some suggestions uh, for striking the right balance as we raise second or third um, Korean, Asian American children here in the States, the proper balance between assimilation or teaching them the proper American skills and you know uh, tools to be successful here, while maintaining the importance of uh, keeping our culture, our language, and healthy pride of who we are. Um, how do you, how, how do parents strike that balance? So um, that's a
1: very good question, <laughs> um, and. Probably the biggest question or the issue why uh, Jerry and I started this podcast, I don't know about you, Jerry, but this is why <laughs> for me, um, because that balance is so important to me being a parent, a bicultural parent, Korean American parent to raise my child. But at the same time, there's I feel like there's no real, real good answer to it um, because it's so individual, also um, in a way that um, it's so individual to each culture as well. Um, What I know as a child psychiatrist um, uh, who is interested in cultural psychiatry is that um, for kids that are um, descendants of immigrants um, in different cultures, um, they do the best when they grow up with um, internalizing both cultures together. Um, If you are only exposed to one culture or the other, um, then it becomes a split um, entity where um, the kids will have a difficult time at some point in their lives. And that translates to um, how well or how successful they are in their lives. So in order, you know, that's a a pretty uh, intuitive thing in some ways, but how to do that is a very uh, difficult, um, homework as a parent. Um, to me, I, um, and that comes down to identity uh, formation in my uh, my head. Um, in terms of identity formation, I don't want my child to think of herself as Korean or American. There is an entity called Korean American, and that is very different from Koreans or just being an American. There is a um, trade and culture that is different, um, in Korean American um, that I value, um, that I like to instill in my child so that she grows up being proud of who she is, which is Korean American, not Korean or American. And I think that's one of the reasons that, um, to, it was so important to me to have this podcast to have an ongoing conversation about what to do about food, what to do about education, what to do about uh, language, what to do about attachment. Um, all of these things um, are part of co- our culture as Korean Americans. And um, th- that is why we have this session.
0: I agree. Um, I think it's, uh, I, I think I. A lot of us in, in our generation um I'm 37, I was 8, 92 when I moved here. Um, the immigrants and, and folks who came here in the 80s and 90s, I think assimilation was sort of that still goal. Um, healthy, outward Asian Korean American pride wasn't there. It was, we are in their country. So how do we raise our kids to make sure that they can be successful in America, right? And so there was still a basis of otherism put on upon ourselves that I think has led to um, a lot of our friends not speaking our native tongue or not having a healthy dose of pride about where we come from. Um, and so we, we see that a lot. Um, and I know that that theme in particular in how do we balance the right cultural and, um, you know, even food, language, where you raise your kids, um, all this stuff is a common theme that we're going to be uh, talking about through probably most of our episodes. And and I know that it is top of mind for most of our guests that we've spoken to already. So um, thanks for laying that foundation. And um, that's something that we're probably always, always going to be talking about here on this show. So this next question comes from an anonymous uh, listener and a fan of the show. And so we're going to, um, first of all, thank you for submitting your question. Um, we're going to read... The question as you submitted it and do uh, our best to try to help you in the best way possible so the question reads uh, my biggest fear is that i am driving my kids especially my oldest who is nine to a road of low self-esteem depression anxiety and most of all during adolescence suicidal ideations i think this stems and reflects a lot of my own experiences as a kid starting around the same age And moving forward, even now as an adult, I can logically think it through and recognize that my harsh and constant criticisms are not healthy. For anyone in the family, I also have a five-year-old, but I cannot seem to turn it off. I try to tell my kids to say only nice, positive things, but I'm also guilty knowing my words are hypocritical because I can be so caustic with my own words and to my family members uh, which is only only which is terrible. My thoughts about my kids are really surrounded by this fear and constant worry and guilt about how my kids will turn out. Truly, I struggle with letting go and letting kids be kids versus my Asian upbringing to strive to be outstanding so that the reflection of my parents are not tarnished through my behaviors and actions. Did or do my actions towards my kids creating Are my actions towards my kids create? Are these actions creating a permanent damage to their psyche? And can you share any tips on how to better communicate with them? Uh, Please share any books, programs, and thank you.
1: Whoa! Right. You know, I read I read this uh, question and um, it really lingered. In my head and my heart, um, because I because I think she's really asking these questions from pure love for her ch- children, and also trying to navigate her own um, pain, right? Um, so, and this is not a question that I I I get these questions a lot also in my own practice. Um, so, um, I feel you. (laughs) Um, I think it's, it's a a question that a lot of the Asian parents do, um, ponder about and have a really hard time not feeling guilty because there's entity of yourself that want to be nice and, um, always be warm to your children, but at the same time, your impulse uh, that you cannot uh, sometimes help uh, can be caustic. Um, so looking at the question, there are multiple layers to this. Um, I think the, the first and utmost, um, the recommendation I would have advice I would have is for this mom is to, um, give herself a little bit of slack. Um, you are a good mom for thinking about this and and worrying about your children and reflecting your on your own self i think this shows that you are a thoughtful mother who really were uh, are looking out for your children and that um it's okay to make mistakes um i think that's the number one thing that i would like to say the number two is um to answer her last question about if her actions towards her kids are creating a permanent damage. N- uh, short answer is no. <laughs> kids are resilient beings. Um, and I think there are ways to um, help, help you mitigate those costly moments, but it's going to take some time. And it's okay, be- because the underlying, underlying message you're giving them is that you do love them. I think the most important thing in this scenario is for your your children to know that you do love them unconditionally. And I think that is the message that a lot of the Asian Asian American parents, um, our generation, really struggled with, with our own parents, because the way that our parents conveyed their love was not very direct right? They don't ever say, I love you. They don't ever say, well, I love you, no matter what. Um, I think that those are very American concepts um, that our parents never really got. Their concept of unconditional love was, I will bring you this nine dish dinner for you, right? Um, but never really verbalizing their love for you. And so that's number one. I think um, your children, you um, have to hear from you that that you love them. And I think that's really important. Number two is that when you do have these moments where you do end up yelling, or you do end up saying things that might have been hurtful for your children, um, it's okay to apologize. When you come down and you you tell your nine-year-old, five-year-old, I am sorry that I made a mistake. I think that's actually a really important part of being a parent to let the kids know that people do make mistakes and this is how you react after uh, you make a mistake. Apologizing and um, asking for uh, forgiveness I think is part of parenting that sometimes we don't we didn't have um, and so modeling that I think for your children is going to be more important. Um, there are two other things that I like to kind of talk about in here. Number one is when, um, one of the things that I think would be very helpful for this mom is to, um, I it could be just self reflecting or even therapy for herself, um, to kind of find her inner child, right? that inner child that she has in her that has been hurt through her um, childhood and go back and look at what, well, what's really made her have this much of pain. You know, she talks about feeling um, low self-esteem, anxiety and depression, even when she was younger, all of those things um, need to be looked at and kind of, I think part of it is for her to heal herself, right? I am a true believer in happy mom makes happy children. Um, and so part of being a parent, a good parent, is to take care of yourself, right? Um, and I would love to have her invest more time and effort for herself to heal. Um, and that will be the best gift you will give to your children. Um, and then, lastly, I know it's, <laughs> it's getting long, but lastly, I also, she, you know, she asked for the resources for um, how to um, help her and her children. There are a couple of the um, we can start with books. Um, there are a couple of uh, of the resource books that I find very, very, very helpful um, in terms of uh, raising children, um, uh, how to discipline children. Um, th- number one um, is so it depends on the child's age. Um, but number one that I would recommend, uh, there is a series of books called How to Talk to Kids. Um, and there are five series. Um, you don't have to read all five, but there are, um, How to but the best one is How to Talk so that Kids Will Listen. And this is very um, helpful for toddler and up children. Um, so that you, instead of yelling, or um, disciplining your children for no reason. There is a way um, uh, to talk to children that the children can actually listen to you and do um, abide by your rules. Um, this book is actually really, really helpful because it gives you practical tips, um, like conversational tips, right? Um, that might be a starter. Um, otherwise, um, if you're not a reader, then um uh, Uh, there is a podcast that I do like. Um, It's called, um, it's done by Janet Lansbury. She's the author of No Bad Kits. Um, She has little clips of what to do in terms of um, working with children in different situations. Now, um, I love her method. It doesn't, always apply to Asian American parents and sometimes, um, but I think there are uh, times where you can um, take a look and see what could be more gentler ways to discipline um, your children. um, And so that you can revert back, you don't have to revert back to what you've been exposed as a child. Um, I have so many books um, that could be helpful. Um, Is it, maybe we could, Try to uh, put it on our website or some resource uh, resource list on
0: that. We're going to try to, because, um, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of great um, books and podcasts and article recommendations that we'll be sharing throughout. So mm-hmm. um, we will figure out the best way to organize it. Um, as far as books, um, we'll put together a link uh, by the time this episode goes in the comments where we um, We'll curate a list of books that we recommend and um, provide you a link uh, to get those books at at a place um, that actually can also help support the production of this show. So um, look out for that. You know, when I was reading uh, this listener's question, the thing that really got to me was this phrase, which was, um, how do I I, I struggle with letting go and letting kids be kids um, versus my Asian upbringing to strive to be outstanding so that the reflection of my parents are not tarnished. And that expectation that this parent feels that she can't let kids be kids because she's worried that it's going to bring shame upon the grandparents is wow. You know, it's, it's, um, it's easy to say, you know, don't or you know like but it's hard because we've all lived through it right and mm-hmm. um the the anchoring of behaviors and successes and outward stuff that's tied to you know shame and pride and joy within our families is is uh, something that at least you know personally i think that we need to move away from um but uh, yeah
1: i think i think that per, you know uh, perfectionism um and uh, not shaming your family uh, expectations. Um, there's a strength to that because it really pro- um, promotes, you know, working towards a goal and make, um, And that's what really pushed Korean Americans to do well as immigrants. Right. Um, but in a way, it really um, gave a lot of children pain, right? Um, I think the underlying theme is that we... Um, we reward our children for their accomplishments, instead of um, loving them. Well, we do love them, but um, not showing them that we do love them for who they are. And I, that, um, that, I would call it a little bit of trauma um, has kind of carried on through most um, people. And then once they are parents, that gets amplified uh, unknowingly. And so how, in order to kind of, undo that, I think, well, number one, um, you have to think about what you really want your want for your child, right? Um, I, I, I repeat this all the time, but a lot of the parents that come to see me because of their children, at the end of it all, um, when we peel all the layers back, um, all they want for their children, whether they're Asian American, whether they're Korean American, whether they're just American, white American, um, they want their child to be healthy, happy, and lastly, productive part of the society. Um, so I want you to think about what that picture looks like for your child, and then build your parenting towards that, uh, instead of saying, well, you've gotten 99% on your exam, that's not good enough, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, yeah, it's a it's a it's a um, difficult work for most parents, I think.
0: It's hard sometimes for us um, as as the middle, right? Because a lot of us are parents, and obviously we're kids ourselves, um, to empathize with our own parents about what their intentions are and and how how they think about the world and what world they grew up in. That informs their viewpoint because um, we skipped or we, we flopped decades and continents and cultures. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's not bad. Nobody, nobody wants their kids to be, uh, bad or unsuccessful or miserable. Um, but I do think that conversations like this help bridge, um, understanding between the two, um, help. Maybe we'll have like a, you know, a tiger grandma on one of these shows and, um, get, get to the bottom of it. <laughs> um, that'll be a fun one. Uh, so our, our next question on, on the topic of empathy um, comes from Esther. And we want to thank Esther for uh, providing us this question. Um, how do you truly empathize with our children when you grew up getting no empathy or sympathy from your own parents? Uh, for example, uh, mom, I felt and hurt my ankle. And mom says, it's okay. You'll live. Hi, Moni and I survived the Korean War, Japanese occupation and starvation. I find That's right. Myself, well, <laughs> technically true, and and thank you to our, our our parents and our grandparents for living through that. Um, uh, Esther, Esther continues, uh, I find myself trivializing my child's constant declarations of small and physical ailments because I don't feel that they're a big deal. However, at the end of the day, I realize she really needed my true empathy and attention. I don't. Kn- I know this is important. I just don't know how to break the cycle.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the questions that we get today um, are same themes, um, just asked in a different question uh, question way. Um, Empathy is not something that we grew up with. A lot of times um, our parents' way of pushing us to do better, to be more resilient was to let them know that there were other people who had had it worse. (laughs) Um, And that, might have worked, but for little children, I think um, the fact that you're look, you're actually recognizing that the kiddo needed um, you to give her, a, you know, hug or just validating her feelings. Um, the good news is that empathy is not something you're born with. It's definitely something you can develop, even in your later in your life. It is hard work, but it can be done, um, and like i was telling my our anonymous questioner um give yourself a flag you're learning about empathy yourself too now right so it's okay and also um it's a really a a fine balance for little children to give them empathy about those little ailments but also at the same time you also let have to let them know that it's no big deal if you scrape your uh, knee because it's going to get better um so one of the things um, for practical practical um, support, when the kid comes and says, uh, says, "Well, my belly hurts. What do I do? Or it really hurts, Mom. What do I do?" Um, you, number one w- way to do it is the validation of her feelings. So. You don't have to feel her pain, stomach pain, but you can say, "Oh wow, yeah, the belly ache must be really hard for you," or something along those lines that tells you, tells the child that you are hearing her, right? But also after that, and you give her a hug, you can move on to say, um, "Well, let's th- think about what other ways we can make you feel better," right? So you're, you're g- g- validating the feeling, and then giving her tools to go forward, right? Um, I think the worst, when, when you know, mom says, well, it's okay, you'll live, Haimonyi and I survived Korean War, it's actually um, pivoting the conversation to somebody else, right, to Haimonyi and how hard the Haimonyi ha- had it. Um, it. That really um, bring, brings the child to think about, well, it, my pain is not, um, important, right? And you have to think about when, when that child is 17 and 18 and 19, and I don't know, like, if your ch- child has a boyfriend or, you know, a, um, meets a partner, that's going to be the basis of her relationship with this, um, partner. You don't want her to feel like she has to mitigate her own pain in the relationships. Um, and so as a parent, you are the basis. Of um, her learning how to navigate the world, and it's not about just empathy, it's about her um, own self awareness of her own own feelings and how to navigate that and how to advocate for that. And so you are helping with those. Um, I just I think I just pressured the, this mom even more by <laughs> saying all this. <laughs> um, but I, um, for children. Emotion identification is the number one um, important basis of um, learning how to express your emotions and then regulate. If you don't know what feelings you're feeling, um, you're not going to be able to appropriately express them, right? So in order for your child to um, be able to be socially um, successful, in life and learn empathy, she has to learn about her own feelings first. Um, if you don't have empathy for yourself, you're not going to be able to have empathy for others. So your job is not to teach the empathy for your child. If your job is for your child to help your child to learn about her own feelings, and na- how to navigate those feelings herself. And it's for the same for the mom. Um, so it's okay. Um, I always say it's okay, mom, to be angry and express the anger, right, because it's part of human nature. If you grow up in a, a household where there's no anger, there first of all, there's no, no anger in any household. You just don't <laughs> express it, right? So then you learn not to express your anger, so It's going to be pent up and it's going to come up, exploding it somewhere else. So learning how to appropriately identify and expressing, that's going to lead to um, having more empathy for others.
0: Thanks for that. I think it's uh, one of the most difficult things that we continuously and continually um, tackle as parents. Um, Because we uh, Koreans went from like this uh, person's mother consistently reminds her, we live in, in two generations or three generations. Um, we went from Japanese occupation to war to poverty to massive economic success and then immigration.
1: Right. There's no time to process any of that, right? There's no
0: playbook for that. We might actually mm-hmm. be, if, if you count all those things within a 70-year time span, Mm-hmm. we actually might be the first group of people who've went from that amount of oppression and like bad things in the world to where we are now. And so, right. Survival was literally the only thing on our grandparents' mind, certainly on our parents' mind. And now, you know, and of course they're going to see us as like, what do you want to talk about your feelings? I, you know, we, I didn't get, they didn't have the luxury of talking about, their emotions. Right. And, and so, um, but I am glad we're doing it now. And I am really glad that we're, we're providing a, a platform from other people to join us in the conversation um, to, to have these things. And we may not have all the right answers. Certainly um, we're not, um, but at least we are actually really encouraged by the number of questions that we've received. Um, I asked this question on my personal Facebook wall and got like 50 questions. And so, to all my friends who, um,
1: we'll get to uh, them.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll get, get to them. them. We we will get to them. Uh, if you want to come on the show and ask questions, you to talk, you know, to us or with us about all these things, um, I, I do want to bring up a couple of topics that were asked about um, in in both our question submission form as well as uh, the social media posts that Jen and I both made. Uh, that we will not be going into depth today. Um, but just wanted to give you a heads up that uh, we will be addressing these in upcoming episodes um, with with more time and with more context. So um, one is about uh, parents who are transracial and transnational Korean adoptees. So there's been a lot of questions and desires for conversation of, how do I teach my kids a culture I didn't actually have growing up? What are some resources? Um, And so we know that that is a very, very important topic um, of our show, of our community. Um, Unfortunately, that is often uh, overlooked, and so we'll be covering that quite a bit. Um, And tangentially, we will also be covering a lot of conversations and questions from you about raising multicultural kids within our own communities, So if you are in a a multicultural relationship or you have adopted children yourself, or perhaps you are not Korean, but you're listening to us because your partner is, or you've adopted Korean children yourself, and you just want to build community with and learn from other folks. Um, As we said at the top of the show and in our intro, um, the way that we define Korean American parents isn't ethnically Korean Nationally, American and parent—that is not the way we would describe us or our uh, our desire here. Um, so we welcome any and all suggestions for uh, for conversation. Um, if you have any questions, find the link to ask uh, Dr. Cho questions for next month's episode, which will be on the first uh, when or first Thursday rather first week of October. Uh, We do again want to thank everybody who did ask their questions and made time to uh, engage with us um, even before we technically launched the podcast, which is really, really exciting and really promising for us. Um, And so again, more topics. um, And I know all of our, I think all of our questions today were asked by mom. So um, dads, we got, we got to step up and join the conversation um, you know, my, my friend, fellow dad, um, asks, asked about doulas and postpartum traditions within Korean culture. There are a few questions uh, related to that. Um, a question from my friend, Randy, about how do you uncover and deal with, uh, inter- intergenerational trauma, which I think with a little bit of today, but we can always talk more about, um, big brother, Teddy asked, how do you deal with sky castle, sky castle pressure? Um, And again, I think we covered a little bit of that today, but we'll be going into that uh, far more. Um, And so I want to thank everybody for asking their questions. Um, This is going to take all of us and all of us uh, engaging in these conversations, uh, normalizing the things that we were not raised with and to instill that concept of normalization and happiness and acceptance with our own children. And so to continue the conversation, I encourage you to connect with us on social media um, wherever you can, email us, um, find us wherever you can um, at Korean American Parenting on Instagram and on Facebook. And if you want to send us a note, uh, hello at koreanamericanparenting.com is where you can find us. Next week, we'll be back uh, both in the host chairs and sharing with you an amazing conversation uh, that we had with a friend of ours who actually uh, Jang knew from college. So A little bit of fun, a little bit of reminiscence there. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And thank you, Dr. Cho, for sitting in the guest chair today and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. And we will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in again to our CAP listeners. Stick around for our interview with children's book author Anna Kim, where Dr. Cho and I talk to her about her book, Candy Meets the School Parade.
1: Welcome everybody. This is our uh, first uh, intro to book section. Um, today, I'm gonna um, talk about this book called Leads the, the School Parade by Miss Anna Kim. Um, this is a book that um, I actually got from my three-year-old and I read it for the first time and could not be happier um, because it has so many layers of culture and immigration and um, anxiety about starting school. This is a book that I think is obviously crucial for Korean American kids, but um, even just for general um, immigrant children, non-immigrant children who are um, having problems with you know, starting school or something new. Um, this is a very um, cultural book in a very non-cultural context, I would say, for every kid that are, are there in this age. So um, the author here today is Ms. Anna Kim, um, and I'm just going to read her bio from the book, and then we'll get to know, know her. So Anna Kim immigrated to the United States from South Korea when she was a child, just like Tambi. Um She grew up doodling around the edges of her notebook and on not any loose scraps of paper she could find during her years of teaching music to children. She discovered that drawing stories on sticky notes worked magic for kids who couldn't sit still. Thambi Leads the School Parade is her debut. Anna lives in New York City in a home full of sticky notes. Um, and here is Anna.
2: Hi, Anna. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi. Thank you for hi, coming t- in. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> When you sent me an Instagram message I was like, "Oh my god, I was so excited. <laughs> so thank you for having me.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about the content of the book for those who didn't read yet and um and kind of background how you ended up writing it?"
2: Okay. Sure. Um so is a story about a little a spunky little immigrant girl who starts her first day of school in America. And and she is not like the likeliest hero, but she comes, you know, comes over her fears and she really takes over her first day. She shares her culture. She's really proud of her of herself. And she really ends up making, you know, really good friends. And and, and the story of has been inspired definitely from my own experience. But it really starts from my niece. Um you know, uh, when my niece was around five years old, I used to go babysit her. And every time I would babysit her, she, would, she kept saying, I want yellow hair. And I was like, you have such beautiful black hair. Why in the world would you say that? And, but she kept, like, putting her self-portraits with a kid with a yellow hair. And it was, well, as somebody um, who's also bicultural, uh, it's a little bit disturbing. But then, you know, I also kind of, kind of can relate because I grew up Korean American. And, and after being like here for 30 years, I mean, my mom was a, you know, elementary school teacher who taught first grade. And towards the end of my uh, primary school, I came here. And so then I could see myself why she would say that. So then I went around all over the place to look for books that would empower her and give her a little more positivity. But one of those situations where I couldn't really find books that I felt was positive, fun, and, and, and didn't like put one against the other kind of books. And so then I said, okay, I'm going to write one because I didn't want my niece to grow up thinking she has yellow hair. And then I also had my own situation with like you know my features nose or whatever and because as korean americans you have to deal with two cultures and you're always toggling back and forth at least i am i go home i live in korea i go outside i'm, I'm of america it's like very very confusing so then i wanted to create a child or a picture book that my niece can read and be proud of and say, you know what? I could be a protagonist in my own story. So that's really the, um, the start of, the inspiration behind the book. And so, you know, I'm a visual person, so I sketch when I am thinking about stories. And then I was sketching millions of little sketches and I came across this three quarter inch drawing that became the Dambi that you see today. <laughs> and I drew like hundreds of Dambi. And then I realized you know, this little girl can say so many things because instead of now one child assimilating into a group and then at the beginning, this whole group is so mean, Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to have a story about a community where they're coming together. And so Dambi changes by meeting her new friends and this whole group changes by meeting Dambi. And I think that that is how like cultural exchange comes and that is also like my definition of being like bicultural, and so it was really a, a meeting of the minds in the middle, and that is really the uh, the beginning of Dumbi.
1: You know that that I think you really hit it in the point because um, the the thing things things not just one uh, things that I like about this book is that um, you were not um, scared about showing how scared Tambi was, right, and um, and and a little bit sad initially. But at the same time, she um, you know, puts out her um, lunch box, which is very different from everybody else, and uses that as a modality to actually um, find something common, like you know, love for music. And that's how everybody starts. Um, and it, it's not just her going into America, but American kids coming into her world in some ways. Yes. And so that, yes. that's what I really like about this book um, that you're able to show that you can still um, have parts of your Korean American culture or Korean culture and still be part of America.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think that was, I mean, there are books out there, like there's really great books, like there's My Name is You, there's Name Jar, those are really good, great books. Um, but I find that those books have, uh, it's not as, positive and uplifting that I would like to show my niece at the time. She's five yeah. and I wanted to show like a hero behind. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> like a some kind of a heroic character. And so Dambi doesn't give up and she's proud of her culture. And mm-hmm. I have seen I was, te- I was saying I was teaching piano to a lot of Asian American mm-hmm. children and children from all different walks of life and then what I found is that a lot of them struggled with this, struggled mm-hmm. kind of with their culture and struggled to show their culture. And many of them didn't want to be like Korean American. They wanted to be either mm-hmm. like American or or they didn't want to show. And I was like, oh my God, you know, you don't want to like, they would not even speak to you in Korean if their American like friends were there. And And I thought, like, for example, like, my nephew refuses to eat Korean food, like refuses Mm -hmm. to eat Korean food, like no Korean food, I don't care what happens, he will not eat. And so things like that. And I think that this book, I really wanted Dambi to be proud of her culture, proud of her name, proud of writing her name in Korean. Mm -hmm. And... Many of many people have said she is like a character who writes her name so proudly on a board. And that is really nice to see. And 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 that is what brings them together. Like her food is what brings them together. Mm-hmm. Side so note about the the, the the bento box. I know that it's a little bit overkill, but my grandmother I used to it. make those. My grandmother used to make those lunch boxes where you would open it and it was like work of art. So that was inspired from my grandmother's lunchbox.
1: I had, I had a side a question about that. So what actually is in the bundle box? I know that you talk about the rainbows and um, half and rice. And um, this is the, the um, lunchbox that she has. Everybody else has um, milk and, <laughs> and sandwiches. But what are these <gasps> things that you're uh, actually portraying?
2: So my grandmother used to make those like finger foods finger foods and then she would like she would make each and every one wrapped in all different colors so that we can just pick and eat them Um, I I remember
1: like a different grandmother
2: (laughs) (laughs) I know she was like an amazing chef so but it's also like uh, inspired by my uh, sister-in-law who used to live in Japan and Mm. her lunchbox every single day had to look like that and, and every single lunchbox has a story of where they come from. And, and mm-hmm. she had to put a little character and then put a little story together. And I think that is really what's behind it. There is definitely a songpyeon there. There's like a thing mm-hmm. of the kimbap. Mm-hmm. And, and then there is like a rainbow. Like I remember she, my grandmother used to wrap something so that it has all different colors in it. I don't even know what the names were but then she would make these amazing pieces so i think the inspiration comes from there
1: yeah no i can see that you have music background because it really has a lot of like the food and the music as the um, unifying theme for the children i also like the fact that um at the end of the day she makes one friend which is um, you know, much more realistic <laughs> than all the kids being, <laughs> right. being the friend, right? So there's no, yeah. um, you know, happy-go-lucky ending, but there is kind of a realistic um, view on it. Um, how So now that you've written this book, um, how do you feel about it?
2: How do you feel about the book? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and as a writer, you go through almost, this book took almost like eight years to really come oh, from, wow. yeah, <laughs> from the uh, inception to the publication. So it took a very, mm-hmm. very long time. So, you know, when you're looking at a work of art that you've done, you, you <laughs> for me anyway, I go and say, oh, these are the things I could have done better. There's always that. But I think that the Dambi, the character, I think that she does really portray the kind of character that I wish my niece had. And I wish that I had. And I think a lot of Korean American children would proudly say, you know, I can be a protagonist of my own life. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't need to go and have like these other um, sad stories. I can also have a positive story and I can also be embracing my culture and be proud of it. And I think to me, that is a takeaway behind, you know, behind this
1: uh, this yeah, book. no, I think this is definitely a kind of book that my three year old um um is able to empathize with. Um I think she has the same um um issues with your niece. She uh likes every princesses to have blonde hair live oh in rural area. Mm-hmm. Oh and, wow. Yeah. And when last year she said her, her skin is white and I got really <laughs> really um scared, so I started buying all these books um but also I realized that she thinks my skin is pink, so you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> she was uh, but she's right actually when you're when you're painting, it's actually shocking how much pink goes in to the skin tone mm
1: mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: and I think I think you did a fantastic job um oh, I, thank I, you. I have two kids of my own, and uh, when we just had our son, uh, one of the things that he got gifted was this uh, toy set with the little people, the little, you know, plastic things. And it was a, a a farm set, you know, we bought it for the animals, but then the farmer was a blonde thing, right? Because thing, yeah, blonde <laughs> boy person, blonde <laughs> farmer and uh, half joking, not half jokingly, 10% jokingly, 90% serious. I told my wife. Yo, I want to Sharpie this guy's hair black. And she goes, You're crazy. And I said, No. I don't want him to even subconsciously think that even with toys, that blonde kids, even, are the guys that owns that right? Like because they don't know what they're seeing, right? And so, um, you know, thank you for writing this book because I think it's you and countless other people that are a part of movement in your own way right and and although i don't think every author writes it for the same exact reasons you did the entire pie of like putting books into the universe that like can help raise healthy children and and i think you know for for jang and myself too like we grew up as little children in korea so like this representation thing is very different for us because we had books with you know korean kids we saw tv with korean kids but we also realize that here there's not enough of those English resources that are cool. They're popular enough to, you know, to gift, to even, you know, like I started buying uh, kids with Asian protagonists as birthday presents for my kids' friends, because <laughs> whether they're Asian or not, that's right? a, like, good
1: idea. And a good Uncle idea. Jerry's yeah, going to yeah, put yeah, that yeah. book
0: in your book on your shelf, yeah. right? Because
1: more yeah. Dambi right? books for all the kids, Yeah, <laughs>
0: more, more Dambi books. Um, I've, I've I've purchased extra copies of uh, Turtle Ship and of uh, The Paper Kingdom, which our friend Helena has written. Like, we do that because it's just also not about our kids looking at Korean kids' books, right? Like, we need, you know, kids that are black and brown and um, Native yeah. American. Like, we yeah. need all that. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I really, think that's really why, cool. Yeah. I
1: think that's why this book is actually really great because it doesn't... Um, just specifically um, targets the Korean-American kids. I think this has a universal theme of feeling um, very anxious in a new place, in a new environment, and that's universal for all kids of all colors. Yeah. And and yeah. the picture itself is so beautiful that I think all the <laughs> girls love it.
2: Actually, the, there is a reason behind why I pour so much energy into making every single child come to life. And right. uh, especially Dambi. I mean, I spent like countless hours making her like three dots on her face so that she kind of pops. And because when I was thinking, okay, children, going to read this story. There are 15 other kids outside from Dambi, And I wanted every child reading the story to say, you know what? I can identify with that kid. And then I can right. follow through the story and I can accept Dambi as that little child. And... What's really funny is that I've been getting all kinds of Dambi's in Dambi drawings through Instagram, direct messaging, snail mail, email—you name it. I've gotten a lot of different versions of Dambi drawings, and I've gotten vampire Dambi. I've gotten Dambi so from yeah, I've gotten Dambi from actually a child. As your mother sent it to me, but then she also wrote a story going, you know, my child is half black and half white. And she says, I'm Dambi. I need to read it to her oh. every single day. And, and there was a boy, yeah. African-American boy who says, this is his favorite book because there is an African-American boy who looks just like him. So he's following through the whole story and then he accepted, embraced Dambi at the end, which was really what I was hoping that people were, kids will follow through. Right. Yeah, that yeah. boy, that boy. Yeah, yeah that's right. So yeah that's been the response so it's been i think that look um the whole process of becoming bicultural you guys know this it's 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 a very very confusion confusing and and i i don't know that there is one way and yet there is everybody comes to a same place saying you know what i embrace my culture and i also embrace this American culture. And it's one of those things that you kind of toggle between all the time and then you say, I I feel I feel comfortable in both places. I understand both cultures. And I think that is a very, very confusing and difficult, especially for children who are growing up here nowadays. I, I find like my niece, I, I don't I, I think that anything to help them to define who they are, understand who they are, embrace their culture, it's going to get them to get to that confident, empowering place faster.
1: Well, thank you for all the love for your niece and nephew because we are the beneficiary of that. Thank you. Um, Okay, so for for closing, I have one last question. Any parting words Uh, to Korean-American parents who might be reading this book to their children?
2: Um, You know, there is a global economy. Korean-American children could be the next protagonist of this global economy and global world. And I want them to really feel empowered and feel strong and be their protagonist. And I think that we can get there. And then we have gotten there. And and I think that, you know, we can foster that sense of confidence and, and um, yeah, sense of empowerment. Great. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you so much, Anna, for this book um, and coming up on our podcast as a first author guest. Oh my God, um, thank you. <laughs> and I did hear from you that there's more series of Tambi coming in soon, hopefully.
2: Yeah, there's um, a second one. is a little bit more about her struggle with the um, cultural identity. So this one is really about the first day of school and how she is assimilating and then how other kids are kind of kind of forming this group. Next one is really about other kids kind of coming to her place where she lives and, and how she has to kind of battle, start battling her um, ass- like identity Korean American identity and i i call it the hyphenated identity i think that it's a process and i think oh, the yeah. whole yeah if i were to continue with the series the whole thing will kind of depict this process of how a child goes from this like immigrant experience into somebody who's really accepting both cultures so
1: yeah well, I will be looking forward to that. that sounds like a <laughs> thank you. kind of a layer um, but after the, this first time be book.
2: All right, thank you so much for having me.
0: Hannah, we want to thank you for making time for us. We want to thank you for writing the book and for uh, folks who are listening that want to check out more of Anna's work and learn more about her, you can head over to Instagram and follow her at art by Anna Kim. And you can also find her on our website at the same name, Art by Anna Kim, where you can learn more about her. You can sign up on her email list to learn more about uh, what is coming down the line for the Tambi series. And also, you can download a few worksheets, uh, activity sheets that you can uh, share with your kids and do some coloring activities. So, Anna, thanks so much again for writing the book. Um, I know that it will be very well received. And if you don't have kids in this young age, uh, consider buying one for your nephew, your nieces, um, or somebody else in your life that could benefit from seeing a Korean American girl leading the school parade and being the protagonist in a story. Thanks to our friend Anna Kim for joining us here on the first author series conversation with uh, Korean American authors. A big thanks to my co-host, Dr. Jang Cho uh, for answering all of our readers' questions Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts if you found the show insightful and helpful. Please take a moment as well to share the show with a fellow Korean American parent in your life if you found the show helpful and engaging. And be sure to check out our website at KoreanAmericanParenting.com to learn more about us, the show, sign up for the newsletter, and to join our community. Thanks again for tuning in. And I wish you all the health and happiness as we venture together along our Korean American parenting journeys. Thanks again.